0: This is the dugout every Tuesday at 1 with Bumpin' Stacy. Inside access to the clubhouse from Shannon Dreyer on Seattle Sports, the home of the Mariners.
1: Happy belated birthday to Shannon Dreyer, Mariners insider joining us now in the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Shannon, I only wish the Mariners uh, would have given you uh, an opening series win over the Yankees uh, to celebrate, but um, unfortunately they did not. No matter, uh, what would you make of uh, of the beginning to the, of this series? Was it kind of what you expected?
2: No. <laughs> 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 Fair. I'm fairly certain I did not ask for a trip to the Aaron Judge show for my birthday. Um, that was very you know, rude. <laughs> terrible. Um, it, it's certainly not out of the realm of possibilities, but, you know, you were hoping for you know great matchups with Bryce Miller, and he had his first stumble, which is understandable where he's at in his career Uh, it's, you know, the Yankees team has been a good team in May. I know they had their troubles early on. They've had a lot of injuries, but when you look at the series, you're missing Garrett Cole. They got a bonus and that Anthony Rizzo was out of the lineup yesterday. So I I thought that they had a pretty decent chance at it, but, Um, You know, these things happen within the game. It it doesn't negate what they've done on this homestand, and it also they still have a chance to win a series. So you hope that they bounce back, and uh, I'm fairly certain they will. But at this point of the season, you know that these games happen. Um, But I I was kind of expecting them with the pitching that they were lining up and what we have seen with the offense, uh, particularly in this homestand, that they could pretty much go toe-to-toe with them in this series with the way that the pitching matched up.
3: Shannon, that kind of leads to my question. Um, I have two sons, right? And one's older, one's younger, obviously. And the oldest one will get the best of my younger one. And my youngest one gets all mad. I go, look, man, you're just not ready yet. Give it a year or two. You know what I'm saying? You'll be competing with them. Is it safe to look at this game in that way and saying, okay, let's just, let's just compete right now. But in the long run, later on in the season, we'll be able to compete with them now. Or should we expect the Mariners to come out and be able to go
2: toe to toe with these guys? I think you absolutely should expect they can go out and go toe-to-toe with them. I mean, that was a game that was taken over by one player, and it was a game in which you had uh, just, again, it was something that can happen with a young pitcher, especially one that is still making the transition to the big leagues, which is very different from what he has been doing. Before, so I think those two factors played into it. Had it been a year later or anything like that, it, it, it might have been a, a different situation. Would we? Would I expect the same with George or with um, Logan Gilbert with the experience that he has tonight? No, and he might be facing a tougher a tougher lineup because Rizzo could be back tonight. So, um, no, I don't think that was the case. I just think it was just really kind of bad timing for what you expected kind of to happen at some point with Bryce Miller, and he just was not able to recover when he didn't have his best stuff last night.
1: Uh, the Mariners, you've been pointing to their strikeouts as a big issue with this team. Every time we've said, like, hey, what needs to happen with the offense, you've made it clear, like, look, sometimes it's really simple. Put the ball in play. <laughs> it's it's baseball, and it's the most important thing you can do. They had 261 strikeouts as a team in April. That's to 239 right now in May. Obviously, uh, they have a pair of games still to play against a really good pitching staff, so maybe there's a chance that over the next two games, somehow they match that 260 number. Does it feel, though, like there's an improvement?
2: In some aspects it does, and then there's some that you want to keep an eye on that are going in the wrong direction. You look at the last two weeks, and obviously Julio Rodriguez, I, I think it's safe to say he's back to being Julio Rodriguez. And in that time, the strikeout rate's been down to 21%, whereas he was about 26 last year and you'll live with that you'll absolutely live with that there um you, you still have a high strikeout rate from Teoscar Hernandez which you expect it was astronomically high a few weeks ago like around 40% mm. that you can't have he's at 34 right now that still needs to come down uh Suarez is kind of being Suarez with that but then they're um you know the one to keep an eye on is Jared Kelnick he all of a sudden is kind of back to the strikeout numbers that he was last year over the last two weeks he's at 37.5 and it's actually been a little higher from time to time so you want him to get that under control and I am somewhat optimistic with that that is over the last two weeks and I I think particularly in the last couple of games He has started to find his swing, and he's started to be able to go the other way, and that is exactly what his swing is built for, and he's been having some troubles with it, dating all the way back to that series in Detroit. So, you know, keep an eye on that. You want him to... able to kind of get back to what he was doing in the month of april and it's been a struggle he's been surviving he's been somewhat productive while he's been doing that but we haven't seen and i'm not just talking about the power but some of the plate appearances haven't been quite as good as they were earlier and you can sometimes see the frustration with him he hasn't reached a tipping point by any means he might actually be heading in the right direction but it's something to watch but then something else on the positive side to watch and this could be really big but Cal Raleigh is on the opposite end of all of that. He didn't have the best April. Well, all of a sudden, the last two weeks, his strikeout rate is eleven percent. Mm. And this is a hitter, and he again, you're probably going to think he's closer to you know between twenty two and twenty five. He's a hitter that I do believe is still developing. And that's if if he can you know lower that. You don't expect eleven from him for an entire season. But if he can lower what he did last year, that just makes him that much better. And he's already starting out at a high point. And that would be something, you know, to get excited about further with him.
3: Shannon, I'm always looking at the bottom of the lineup and trying to figure out, okay, who could be the guy to be the consistent spark? We've seen Jose do it at times. And I look at Tremel and it seems like he's just he's floating in a place of. Um not really not really knowing who he is, you know, at, at the plate and, and on this squad. What are your, what's your assessment of Tremel and how he can tr- contribute to this team?
2: Well, he's getting lots of opportunities right now and he needs to take advantage of it. It's a hard thing. I mean, this is a guy that put in all the work in the off season, got to spring training and fairly early on, had the hammock bone injury. So that wiped out, you know, that's a big break in the work that he's been doing. It wiped out his spring training. He did get some rehab games, but that's kind of an odd way to start a season. Uh, is brought up right away and then doesn't play every day. So you hope that that's a bat that can get going. And you kind of see him more in platoon situations. But again, he's another guy that is very suspect to the strikeout. And I think that uh, he gets a little hungry at times and does try to do too much. Uh, a little bit of what you saw with Julio Rodriguez, and one of the problems with him was he seemed to always be taking that big swing and trying to win it with one big swing. And it, it just seems to me that um, Taylor needs to kind of, he hasn't really found out how to get into a season right now. He's trying to start at 100 miles an hour, and that's a real tough thing to do.
1: Were you surprised, this was a listener question, that um, service didn't pull Miller a little bit earlier? no. Um,
2: because of the bullpen, they've played. Yesterday was, I believe, their 11th or their 12th game in a row, and they've actually had to use a, a good amount of bullpen, not just from from like the night before, but in the last five days. And the way that they're putting things together because of what they have right now is, you are often seeing, you know, Topa, Gott, and Spire in the same game. They can't all play every day. And you went into that game last night, I believe, with four pitchers who had pitched the previous two days, and that was Brash, Topa, Spire, and Guy. Mm. And I think that, you know, some of those guys, they really wanted to stay away from. And, you know, in that respect, basically the only ones that you really could go to comfortably, yesterday and Seawald, he uh, he was okay. He would pitched just the day before, but you really don't want to go to him unless you're in a safe situation. So you, at that point, were looking at Juan Tin and uh, Chris Flexen. And you say, well, Chris Plexen can give all these innings. Well, not so much anymore. You know, that's something that he could do coming out of spring training. But he hasn't pitched as much anymore. So I think they really needed to get Miller through five so they wouldn't have to use the arms that they didn't want to use unless they were in a situation where they had a good shot to win the game. The flip side of that is is they should have pretty much a full bullpen today.
3: Shannon, we knew that Bryce was going to have his day eventually. You know, every athlete – has the days where it just doesn't work for him, especially in baseball. It's a long season. From what you know about him, I don't know how much you've been around him or spoken to the young man. Um, What's his resilience level like, and what was he like after the game as far as demeanor?
2: Well, you know he's from Texas. And you know that he's kind of, he's, he's, if you've heard him speak before, everything's very easy. So I think he just gets right back up on the horse again. Uh, he has not blinked at all. He has not changed anything, uh, I think, in his approach since he's come up from the minor leagues. But what was really kind of interesting was to hear him talk about the game last night, and I've talked to him a bunch of times, and he does seem pretty insightful. And uh, he, he kind of, he has a look of, oh you know, he's pitching out of his mind and he doesn't know where he's at, but he very much knows where he's at. I think he's very in control. Of what he's doing out there, and one of the things that really kind of impressed me as he was breaking it down is he was very realistic. um and he wasn't too hard on himself. he's he's going you know he was honest in that I wasn't able to get my pitches where I need to get them. Um, that he wasn't a sharp, that he didn't you know see the life on the fastball that he had. And also that this is a different situation for him right now. I talked to him right after his first start and asked, oh, by the way, when was the last time, you know, that you pitched um, in, in a regular rotation, on regular rest at the big league, you know, big league? And he said he hasn't. He hasn't pitched on four days rest before. You know, down in the minor leagues, they've got Mondays off, and they usually have an extra day's rest. Up in the big leagues, you pitch every five days unless there is a day off. Now, since he's been up, there have been a few times where they have had that extra day, so he has been on what would have been regular rest for him coming from the minor leagues, but this time out, he said, was the first time where they, or the second time, where it was the first time where he had to go back-to-back games, where he had the four days, the big league rest, off in between. So, in a sense, he did back-to-back games where he was kind of two days Shy of the normal rest, and he felt it this time
1: uh I have a i'm going to get back to strikeouts. Is there anything about the way that this roster's built that is has also lent itself to seeing more strikeouts? yeah,
2: yeah, it is it's built that way you You bring Oscar Hernandez in, knowing full well that he is going to strike out, but the trade off is is you're also going to get the power from him. You know there are players in this lineup that they will live with the strikeouts, and you've got to have some balance. J.P. Crawford doesn't strike out a lot. Ty France doesn't strike out a lot. Eugenio Suarez, he does strike out a lot, but again, he's going to bring that power. And that's part of how this lineup was built. Julio Rodriguez is going to strike out a fair amount. But if you look at the top of your, you know, your war hitters, your big power hitters, a lot of them do strike out at a similar rate. So it is built into what they do. They are striking out more than their career averages. So that you know that they don't bring them in thinking that they're going to strike out at a 30% rate, they're kind of more willing to live with some of them at that 25% rate. So it's absolutely part of what they do. And the other thing is is that you know their their theory at the plate is to lay off the edge pitches and kind of take your chances that those are going to get called in your favor. With the thought being there are certain pitches that even if it is just kind of nicking the edge of the strike zone. The hitter's not going to be able to do anything. Whether he's going to pop it up, he's going to roll it over. It's going to it's going to it's going to end up with an out, regardless. So, you know, they are taught, and not all of them follow this, but you know, they they play the percentages on it. That if you can lay off that pitch, in the long run, you're going to come out on top. So the strikeout is a possibility, and is also kind of part of the architecture and the choice that they make with the players that they bring in.
3: Shannon, we started our show kind of talking about Julio Rodriguez, him bouncing back, and then the year that Kelnick has had so far. And a lot, a few listeners, it seems like they want to pin them against each other. You know what I mean? And um, what have you observed about their relationship? Because I feel like they're they're the complete opposites, right? You got one that's really serious and one who's having a lot of fun. Um, when you observe those two together, what what's their relationship like?
2: Good. You know, it was when they first, what was it, three springs ago when they were first in spring training, they get together for the first time. They actually had their press conferences together and they were talking about, you know, how they kind of play off of each other and how they are different, how they appreciate each other. And, you know, they seem to be ready to go and be the J rod and Kelnick show. If that was what it was going to be. I think I, both of them, you know, did not have a problem with the prospect of sharing the spotlight with the other. And this is when they were at their youngest In Kelnick's, um, you know, case, especially the brashest. Um I, I, I think, um yeah. I think we're actually, I'm behind the scenes. I think seeing them interact more this year than they did last year. And Julio had a lot to figure out. They both had a lot to figure out last year. You know, they both were trying to establish themselves at the major league level after the first month, Julio just took off and was the superstar and Jared kept struggling. But I think this year with Jared getting off to the hot start that we saw, you do see them talking a little bit behind the scenes. You do see them interacting sometimes in the dugout last night, when Jared crashed into the wall, Julio ran to the wall and was waving people over. You know, he was right there and had a hand on Jared's shoulder and making sure that he was OK. I don't think they're the best of friends, but I think that they um you know, I think they're good teammates and you do see them. Uh, You know, I think they enjoy each other as much as they do anybody else on the team, which is kind of fun to see
1: how this feels like a silly question to ask. But I just like the potential of like, where could this team go and what could they be if both of these guys were able to reach their potential this year?
2: Yeah, it would be pretty special. I mean, if you've got two outfielders who are elite with what they do in the field and what they do at the plate, it's, um, it's hard to find comps. I, I know that passing on the morning show last week, they were trying to find comps where you have two outfielders like that. You know, that's, that's where you put your hitters. Those would be two huge bats that, uh, you know the Mariners really haven't had maybe since like the first year of like Cano and Cruz yeah. might be something close as far as the bats go but to have two young energetic um, you know, the intensity of Kelnick, the energy of uh, Julio, who is really trying to fire everybody up last night despite being down, uh, which tells you where he thinks he's at. You could tell he wanted to, you know, take the team on his back last night, which was pretty fun to see. But, um, you know, in sure fact, you know, terms of war and what they can produce and the runs that they can produce, I think we've seen glimpses of it here or there. Uh, but if they were both clicking and kind of at the top of their game at the same time, that would be, you know, obviously that would be a ton. But you still you need the other guys on this team to to fill their roles. You're talking about you need somebody at the bottom of the order. You know, you need guys that are going to be on base when these guys go big. And it, uh, it's kind of how it was all drawn up. Do you dare to bullet dream that you can produce two at around the same time? Uh, it's you know We don't see it very often, but uh, it could happen here.
3: Shannon, we understand that the, um, the All-Star game, we talked about this as well, is a popularity contest. If you th- take that out, is Jared Kellnick an All-Star?
2: Oh, man. Um, I would say it, it's too soon to say. It's two months. He's had one very good month, and he's been a little bit shaky in the month of May. Um, ask me in another month.
1: Did you uh, kind of uh, related to Kelnick at least? Did you see enough in April to think that even with a shakier May, what we saw was legit? Mm,
2: no, I mean we've really got to see. I've I, got to see bounce back. I've got to yeah. see him stick with the approach, which we have seen. Um, one good month for anybody is, is not enough, and I, I, think you know, I want, I, I, I very much believe in what he's doing. I think it's very likely that it's trending in that direction. Um, I, it's great to see the commitment. He is night and day from what he was a year ago. But I, I do think you need a little bit more time.
3: When you when you look at this team, and obviously you're playing against the Yankees, so you're using it as a barometer. And you just look across the league. What's missing? Do, do you believe that it's it's all on the roster, or do you think that moves will be made here shortly from uh, from other other teams across the league with, with Dylan or whatnot?
2: Well, yeah. What we haven't seen, what we didn't see last year, and I think it's going to be tough with, you know, you've got some close races. You do have entire divisions that are out of it, but they're all out of it together, and they will get one team into the postseason. Uh, I I don't know how active the trade deadline is going to be, and if you're sitting around waiting for a bat, well, good luck. That's the toughest thing to get at the trade deadline. You don't often see significant bats dealt at the trade deadline. So it'll be interesting to see who, I don't think it's very well established right now, who the sellers are going to be. I know a few weeks ago, everybody was thinking it would be the White Sox, but again, they're in a division where it's not going to take much to win and to get into the postseason. So, you know, you don't know about that as of yet. So uh, yeah, there will be moves that are made. There always are. But I think more often than not, they're not the big explosive moves you see, like you did with the Mariners last year with Luis Castillo. Usually they're kind of more complementary pieces.
1: Hey, Shannon, there was a while there where we were all kind of talking about what they could acquire at the trade deadline, and and you had settled on some similar sentiment where you were like, hey, a lot of the improvement is probably going to have to come from within. So we were looking at France and Raleigh and Teo and Gino and Julio saying like, all right, hey, it's going to have to be these guys stepping up. At the time, Jared was just like raking Um, Where have you seen uh, a step forward or more consistency from that big group of contributors? And and who are you still waiting to see start hitting more?
2: Well, Julio, which is a critical piece, obviously. I I do think Cal Raleigh, because again, he was kind of off to a slow start and the strikeouts were up. And we were kind of questioning, is his thumb still bothering him? And then we hear about the neck. But what we've seen from him since we heard about the neck, I I feel I've started to really feel better about him i didn't feel terrible but he didn't get off to a quick start um and it was kind of interesting in how they were using him and seeming to give him maybe an extra day here or there um you know you need to see more from tay oscar and you have to believe that's going to come along because of his track record and when i say more i mean he's getting some hits he's getting on base um he's playing some really nice defense in fact he has upgraded his defense significantly from when he was in toronto Um, but you need the power from him. You need him to be another kind of threat in that lineup. And I think that when you get there, um, Suarez as well, and you see kind of glimpses here and there, and you see him taking his walks, and again, you haven't seen him really go consistently on any kind of tear. And that's what we saw from time to time. He is streaky. But you saw those long, very good streaks where he could pick up the rest of the team and carry. And again, his defense at third base has absolutely been stellar, and that has helped him out immensely. You need to see more there. But, you know, when you get that going on paper, if you add Jared Kelnick to it, you know, plus, you know, doing anything, uh, you know, better than what he did last year, doing anything similar to what he did in the month of April, he doesn't have to be that guy the entire year. But if you can see him hitting a little bit more for average, if you can see him not striking out quite as much, if you can see him getting on base, I mean, that's one of the greatest things we've seen from him is that when he is struggling, he doesn't try to do too much. And you saw him, you know, trying to stay up the middle and being, you know, happy with the single and and getting on base and then seeing if he could steal a base or impact the game that way. All of that really adds up. I do think you still have the potential for a better offense than you had last year and the pitching should carry. And I'll go ahead and say that I think this pitching as a staff is going to get better. You get Munoz back, and what this staff has been missing is you haven't had that guy that can come in in the sixth inning if necessary, the seventh, and put out the fire. Come in and get the strikeout. You've got a lot of guys who put the ball in play, and you you get the out often, but sometimes one's going to get through. You need the guys that can shut down the game, and Munoz is going to help with that. And also, I do think we are going to see Prelander Barroa at at some point, too, in the not too distant future. And he should be another guy that, you know, you got a runner on second and third, and, and you're, you know, tied or down one or up one. He can come in and take care of that as well. Or at least he has the stuff to do that. We'll see what happens when he hits the big league level. So I do think that that's going to help in terms of games that you have in hand. I think you are going to lock down a little bit easier.
3: Shannon, we're, what, uh, 54 games into the season or something like that? Um, Who do you think deserves more credit than they get nationally or even just within the local media?
2: On the Mariners team, wow. Um, Well, if you follow me on Twitter, you've seen me say some things about Marco Gonzalez. (laughs) But that's uh, more in in kind of reaction to kind of uh, just the stuff that comes out if he gives up a run. And he's been very important in that fifth. starter role and the consistency that he brings in seven out of 10 games uh, allowing three or fewer runs which absolutely gives you a chance to win if he can continue that at that pace that that will be huge um nationally i don't think you hear as much about cal raleigh a, as you should and there are some good young catchers out there but he's you know he should be a top third a top three catcher and you could pretend could potentially hear more from him um j p Crawford, uh, I think, is just absolutely perfect for this team and what he is doing and the role that he has um, filled, and that he is playing the defense that they had hoped to see from him and having the good at bats and I think he's showing he can be nice at the top of the order and not putting up the strikeouts at the other hour and it 's going to be really intriguing to see he 's hitting the ball about five miles an hour on average harder than he was a year ago, and that 's tied to the off season work that he did. But he's not going up there trying to be the slugger. He's just being JP with a good eye and being able to go the other way and hit with two strikes and hit ridiculous numbers in high leverage situations. He He's your clutch guy right there. But I'm really interested to see kind of where that goes if hopefully, knock on wood, he remains healthy and he does kind of keep up with what he has been doing as far as the hard hit rate. That's could all of a sudden start seeing a lot more doubles, which uh, is, is fantastic as well. So, yeah, you know, why not? I'll go ahead and say Raleigh and
1: Crawford. <laughs> hey, I like it. I like it. She is Shannon Dreyer. Happy belated, Shannon. We're so happy to have you join us on the Dugout. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Shannon. You got it. See ya. All right. Thank you again to Mariners Insider Shannon Dreyer joining us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. We are going to get to Mariners broadcaster Dave Sims coming up at 45 after. First, though, you get to hear from one of the Mariners coaches. Mariners bullpen coach Stephen Vogt joins us next.
0: You're listening to The Dugout every Tuesday at 1 with Bumping Stacy on Seattle Sports Station, the home of the Mariners.
1: You are listening to the dugout. Joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, it's Mariners bullpen coach Stephen Vote, and uh, and Stephen, I gotta ask, and uh, I hope you don't take this wrong. What's a bullpen coach do? Like just day to day, during and outside of a game, what's your role?
4: Yeah, so the, my, my main role is to uh, you know make sure that the bullpen guys are prepared for for their outing, and so that starts early in the day, and you know familiarize myself with the game plan and do a little game planning on my own as if I was going to be catching that night so that I can have them informed of who they're facing and what pitches are best and how they want to attack these hitters and put them away and things like that. And and just making sure that the bullpen guys have everything they need and uh, making sure that I'm keeping in tune with how they're feeling and, and all those things. And then honestly, during the game, it's answering the phone and talking to guys and preparing them to go in for their outing. So a lot of it is just uh, doing all the preparation for the bullpen guys so that they don't have to think. They can just go out there and do their job.
3: Steven, you've been in the uh, in the dugout and in the bullpen. Is there a difference in the vibe, or is it pretty consistent with the Mariners?
4: Uh, it's really consistent. Um, I mean, obviously, I haven't been in the dugout with the Mariners, but I um, was in the dugout for a long time, and it seems like we've got a pretty good vibe. But our vibe down in the bullpen is really good. Uh, we got we have a lot of fun down there for the first you know, five six innings, and um, just trying to keep guys loose and keep guys uh, relaxed. And then as they're warming up, same thing, trying to keep them loose and relaxed. And uh, we have a, we have a pretty good time down there, and uh, it's a good group, and obviously some unbelievably talented people coming out of that bullpen night in and night out
1: so when you get the the phone call in the dugout and it's got service and they're calling up the bullpen do you guys typically have a pretty good idea of like hey these are the guys they're going to go to tonight based on some of these matchups or are there ever calls or conversations where you know a guy might be you know kind of surprised to see his name called
4: yeah you know that's that's my main job is uh making sure guys don't get ambushed is what we like to call it so um, you know, obviously there's nights where you have to go off the script because things happen throughout the game that uh, you weren't planning on. But for the majority of the time, our starting pitchers are so good that we kind of know who's going to get the ball in what situations. And um, I'm the type of person that over-communicates with the bullpen guys. I'd rather them think it's going to be them when the phone rings and then they have to sit down um, rather than the phone ring and then get completely side- sidelined.
3: Hey, Steven, I have a a football background, coached and played it. I, and I used to watch our players warm up and I could tell who was going to have a good night or a bad night. I go to coach and be like, man, our QB is going to struggle today. Be ready for this or that. But I've heard guys have the worst warm ups, but then go out and just deal. Is is there, are there any indicators that you look at to say, okay, this guy's on point tonight or this guy's going to struggle a bit? Or do you kind of just wait and see what happens?
4: Um, it's a little bit of, of all of the, what you said. I mean, there's there's nights where somebody's warming up and you're like, man, they, these hitters have no chance, uh, and then they go out and they do it. And then there's nights where they warm up and they, you think they've not got no chance, and then they struggle and, and vice versa. So it's kind of all over the map. You don't really take a whole lot of stock uh, when somebody's warming up because you know they don't have the adrenaline, they haven't clicked. You know, like we we like to talk about in the bullpen. You know, when you when you run through those gates. You put on your, you put on your ego and you put on your your altered you know your alter ego and, and your competitor mode and it's time to go to work. and so I don't take a whole lot of stock in the way guys are warming up, um, but there are definitely times where guys look better than others.
1: Hey, uh, Andres Munoz has been injured, obviously, for the bullpen, but you guys haven't missed a step. Is there been uh, any player or two that's been, I don't want to say a pleasant surprise in a way to disparage him, but where you've looked at him and thought, oh, my God, they really helped us, you know, pick up after this injury?
4: Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's really a lot of names to mention, um, you know, and I'll, I'll go with kind of four, and that's uh, Topa, Gotts, uh, Spire, and Saucedo and those four guys you know we all we all know what Paul Seawald can do at the end of a game he's been doing it for years and he's our guy to to finish the game but those other four have really really stepped up for us in a huge way and uh, pitched in some huge moments Um, you know the guy that I don't think gets enough credit is Trevor Gott you know this guy's taking the ball for us night in night out whether we're down one up three you know, down two, and he's holding the game right there. And he's just been Mr. Steady Eddie for us all year. Takes the ball without complaining, and um, but those those four especially have really stepped up for us with Mooney out.
3: What's your relationship with uh, with Paul Seawall? I mean, he's uh, you mentioned he's the guy out there. I would assume that your conversations with him might be a bit different than a guy like Got or Topa. How does how does he factor into uh, the bullpen and what you do?
4: I mean, he's the leader of our bullpen. You know, he he's the he's the guy that gets us together off the field. He's the guy that uh, comes down and keeps everybody keeps everybody in a good headspace. And um, just with the consistency at which he goes about his business, um, this guy's as detailed and routine oriented as it comes. And and really, in the game of baseball, that's what it's about. It's about developing a routine and sticking to it for 162 days. Not not riding the ups, the downs, the ins, the outs, but it's sticking to a consistent routine. And having yourself ready to do your job night in and night out, and Paul Sewald embodies that better than anybody in our bullpen. And the other guys, the other guys look up to that. And uh, he's somebody that we lean on very heavily in the highest of leverage situations. And you know he's going to come through for us more times than not. And uh, he he really is just a steady Eddie.
1: Hey, so you were a, a catcher. Played a, a little first base, some other stuff. Uh, obviously, with the A's and a number of other teams. Uh, what drew you to to the bullpen um, as coach there with the Mariners? Obviously, you uh, you joined them in uh, in January.
4: Yeah, um, you know, obviously, I, I was I was looking to stay in the game, and I was looking for an opportunity. And you know, Scott and the Mariners um, front office they brought me in. And what really drew me to the bullpen was as a catcher, your number one job is your relationship with pitchers and getting them to, be beat at their best. And so for me as a bullpen coach, it's really the same things I was doing as a catcher. It's just, I don't have to face major league right. pitching anymore. <laughs> thank goodness. But um, you know, I really, really enjoy the relationship side with pitchers because when they trust, when they trust their catcher and they trust that everybody's got their back, they go out and they have an opportunity to be at their best. And so if I can help provide that as their coach, that's what I'm trying to do.
3: Us, um, us football players all think we could have played in the NBA, and I, I noticed that you played some high school basketball. What was your game like? Who, who would you say your game was like in high school?
4: Oh man. I don't know if there's anybody that walks on the planet that played basketball the way I do, but, uh, <laughs> I, I was a, I was a, I was a six foot, 200 pound white, uh, point guard that never dribbled between his legs. Cause I was afraid to dribble it <laughs> off my foot. But, um, my, my basketball game consisted of, I played really good defense. I handled the ball really well, made good decisions passing, and I could make a three every now and then. So I was, uh, pretty stereotypical point guard um but you know my my specialty was defense i i loved loved playing defense and you know i I always wanted to guard their best guard their best scoring guard and and try and shut them down and uh just real physical really tenacious and um but there's not a whole lot about my basketball game that i like to brag about so um we'll, we'll stick with defense
1: I was fully expecting Bump to be like, you know, Stephen, um, why didn't you make it to the NBA and why was it the biggest snub uh, in the history <laughs> of the league? <laughs> I was waiting for it. I was waiting for the question. Uh, all right. He is yeah. Mariners bullpen coach, Stephen Vo. And, you know, Stephen, that's that's some good insight. I don't know why hearing that you're like a defensive guy that prides yourself on it just makes sense for for like a catcher and a bullpen coach. I don't know why. It checks out. It checks out for me philosophically. Thank you so much for joining us, man. We appreciate it.
4: Thanks, coach. You bet. Thanks for
1: having me. All right. You are listening to The Dugout. Don't go anywhere. More your favorite Mariners voices joining us next.
0: You're listening to The Dugout every Tuesday at one with Bumpin' Stacy on Seattle Sports Station,
4: the home of the Mariners.
1: You are listening to The Dugout. It is all Mariners from one to two every single Tuesday. Joining us now, Mariners broadcaster Dave Sims on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Dave, how's it going?
0: Doing well, doing well, gang. How you doing?
1: We are well. It sure was fun to see the Mariners take two series so far in this homestand. Obviously, yesterday's game one against the Yankees didn't go how any of us would hope. Um, But look, we've had you on the dugout uh, uh, quite a few times. And we've talked each time about like, okay, what needs to go right? What needs to go right? Where are you starting to see at least some improvement with this team?
0: Well, obviously, the, the fact that they're 6-2 and two on this homestand, the bats have been hot. No Julio's been scorching hot. And, you know, a lot of guys are starting to feel really good about what they've worked on and now putting it into play and getting results. So, And, you know, the pitching, for the most part, has been outstanding. And yeah, the bullpen's been outstanding. So, hence you have a 6-2 and two record here on this homestand and chance to even up the series against the Yankees today.
3: Do you think there was something special Julio was doing to get himself back in the groove, or is this just a good athlete, baseball player, being patient and, and sticking to um, his plan and his approach?
0: That would be B, answer B. Um, I talked to him oh, yesterday, but I remember probably 10 days ago, and I said, yeah, what's going on? And he says, hey, man, this is a hard game, and I'm doing everything. You know, I'm still enjoying it. Uh, it, it's a hard game it's, you just can't come out here and uh you know and make things happen the way you want them to happen all the time uh the work like I said the work is is paying off for julio and, and a few other guys and you know that's what that's what you do in baseball and uh you know <laughs> it's a marathon yeah and like, stay out as long as you possibly can and and you're always tinkering and I think one of the things and the Scott services talked about it. Julio's even admitted, you know, just dial it back just a little bit in terms of how hard you're swinging all the time you know and the thing that's been great, he and Kelmick, and I mentioned this last night there you know there's a lot of hits up the middle and the other way, and they're taking advantage of that and that's I tell you what that is really i think that's tremendous growth and maturity and 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 realizing what you know what's at hand here with the talent that they have.
1: Uh, well, let's talk about maybe the talent the Yankees have, Dave. I am not uh, so stupid as to look at the Yankees and go they don't have anyone just because they don't have any 300 hitters. But I was surprised to see uh, how easy it seemed for them yesterday, and obviously judge a huge part of that. You think that uh, Logan Gilbert, having faced this team, uh, you know, having a year under his belt, gives the Mariners a better chance in this one?
0: You got to remember, you're talking about competitors. You're talking about guys that are playing in the major leagues right. who are. Beat dudes wherever they were in high school and sometimes in college, and certainly worked their way up through uh, you know through the minors to get here. So there's no shrinking violence here. Right. <laughs> Gilbert had probably a, a, an impressive uh, go against the Yankees his rookie year, and I remember asking him about this, and he came up and in on a few guys, including Judge, backed them off the plate. If I remember correctly. I think he went six innings in a win against the Yankees in his first year. You know, they're, they're, nobody's stepping down from the challenge. You, know, you get eaten alive. Here's the thing. I know I went into yesterday's game. Dan Wilson and I were talking about it on the TV side before we even hit air. But the lineup that the Yankees uh, put together for yesterday looked top-heavy. So what happens? the bottom of the order, I think it was 6, 7, and 8. Those three guys, when I combined, 7 for 14, in mm-hmm. addition to what Judge did at the top in uh, Glaber Torres. So, it, it, and they they jumped on Young Miller, and you know he's allowed to have a stinker. He's a kid; it happens. Yeah. So you know you go go to even up the series here tonight, with Big Logan.
3: Dave, is there anyone? Well, we we talked about how Julio has fought through his adversity and starting to figure it out. Is there someone else that you feel like is close to figuring out that's going to help this team?
0: Well, I, I mean, you could you can put that on almost anybody. I mean, your had. Some stretches where it's not going well, but lately he's picked it up a little bit. I felt badly for him last night. Judge takes the home run away from him. He did a great job, got a pitch away, drove it the other way, and uh, you know, Aaron 6'7", and a hell of an athlete, and went up and got it and took a home run away from him. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for a spurt from from Gino. Um, you know, he's not going to be a three thirty hitter, but he's also you, he's got in his background where you know, he hit 49 home runs at one point in this period, 31 last year. And with the weather heating up, Julio you know, told me yesterday, hey, I'm from the Dominican Republic. Do I like the weather? You bet. So I think, there's, I think that comes into play. And, um, you know, and a lot of times it's, it's matchups too. So we'll see. I, it's, it's hard to, you know, start singling out guys. But uh, the whole, if you can get three, four guys rolling at a time, hitting can be and, and it's infectious. So we'll see what happens.
1: I think that I had just kind of turned my attention towards Jose Caballero as opposed to just like waiting for Wong to figure it out. And that's not to say that Wong can't. It just felt like maybe turning to Jose was the answer there. I think with someone like Teo, who's been striking out, he's this great addition. And you're kind of waiting for him to heat up and be the best version of himself. I am not losing any faith, though. Like, I I feel like I'm still completely hanging on to the idea that the best is yet to come for him. Is that how you feel as well?
0: Too good a player, too good a guy. Works too hard. He'll be fine.
1: Yeah.
3: Dave, you ever look at? I, I looked at Aaron Judge and I go, "How six seven, hitting bombs, robbing it." Can you can you think of an athlete just physically that's impressed you? Um, like Aaron Judge impresses me just when I see him in a uniform.
0: Ooh. Well, he no I and mean, Otani. Man, you know, Aaron is six seven, six eight. Otani's no about six four, six five. Does everything. Uh, he's a better runner a faster runner than Aaron, Aaron Judge. But, uh, I mean, as a hitter, Judge is on par, or certainly not far off from the hitter that Otani is and with ridiculous power. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that I was talking to him yesterday for about 10 minutes before the game. I was like, dude, you know, I thought it was the right thing that you signed with the Yankees in terms of, you know, you're going to be a legacy guy with that organization, also the captain following in Jeter's steps, and you know, he's accepted that responsibility. He's got the big contract, and um, he's he's done a great job. But when he was out, you know they faltered. When he's in the lineup, they're a different team. And that, that, you know, long term in terms of getting deep in the playoffs, that's been a problem for them. They relied so much on the home run, and Houston's pitching has shut them down in the playoffs. So. Curious to see what moves may be coming up for Cashman as we move forward, uh, Brian Cashman, the GM. Mm,
1: Interesting to watch there. He is Mariner's broadcaster, Dave Sims, kind enough to join us on the dugout today. Thanks so much, Dave.
0: Thanks, Dave. You bet. Be well, guys.
1: Good to talk to you. Take See care. ya. See ya. You too. Uh, all right. Thank you again to Dave Sims, to Mariners bullpen coach, Stephen Vote, and to Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer for joining us today on the dugout. A quick congratulations from Michael Bumpus and myself to Julio Rodriguez. Bump, Julio, named AL player of the week. That news just announced. Uh, man. Heck of a there you go. Yes, let's go, Julio. Let's go, Julio. Let's go, Julio. Heck of a week for him. He's on what? Did we say six games or seven games? Multiple hit games. Six in of a row. them things. Six, six of them, them things. things. All right. Well, congratulations to <laughs> Julio Rodriguez, named AL Player of the Week just now. Awesome news. This has been the Bullpen All Mariners. It's every single Tuesday, one to two PM for Michael Bumpus, for Curtis Rogers, I'm Stacey Ross. Don't go anywhere. Wyman and Bob coming up next.